a production of Sloan Studios. The following may contain strong language and deals with adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. We wind the clock back to 1996 and head to the Great White North where we meet Blair Adams, who had lived in British Columbia, Canada for most, if not all, of his life. Most people he knew Blair said that he was fun-loving, easy to get along with, and easy to be around. And he had what a lot of people would call a sunny disposition. Then one day, all of a sudden, that changed. He began to appear paranoid, telling some of his closest friends that he was about to be murdered. Only days later, he fled Canada and entered the United States, where he would only a short while later be found massacred. As the great Yogi Berra once said, it's like deja vu all over again. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and this is episode 51. Just like that. The Mountain Mystery of Robert Dennis Blair Adams. Over 24% of the 1.9 billion square acres in America alone, the mountains that so many people call home, also play host to some of the most staggering mysteries in the world. The missing. And she said, I knew I wasn't there anymore. The murdered. All my emotions just went blank, just like, just blank. And I still live with that today. I think about that so much today as he was in that water. Strange creatures. Whatever it was that was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. I mean, it was a, nope, we need to get out of town. Unexplained lights and sightings. It does not look like an airplane. They come together and then they separate and they just keep doing this all the time. These stories may be strange. They may be sad. They may be odd but they are mysterious. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and now your host, Chris Sloan. It was July 5th, 1996, when Blair Adams withdrew just about every nickel he had from the bank account that he owned and emptied his safety deposit box of cash, jewelry, gold, and platinum. Then he tried his best to get into the United States via ferry from Victoria, British Columbia to Seattle, Washington. Well, immigration officials flagged Adams as a possible drug courier due to the large amount of cash that he had on him. He was found to have had convictions on drug and assault charges, and he was denied entry immediately. In the early morning hours of July 9th, Adams was discovered by Canadian Border Patrol officers trying to get back into the United States on foot at the Pacific Highway border crossing. Officials noted Adams had scratches covering his legs and his hands. Adams matched the description of a man implicated in an automobile theft, and the vehicle had been discovered abandoned near the Pacific Highway border crossing, but he adamantly denied any kind of involvement. 
and he was freed because of a lack of evidence. Adams managed to enter the U.S. by vehicle on July 10th. He was in a Nissan Altima that he rented from the Vancouver International Airport. He arrived in Seattle, where he then purchased a round-trip ticket to Frankfurt, Germany, at the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport. Adams had previously worked on a project in Frankfurt for his stepfather's construction company and had dated a German woman in Frankfurt, though she had later told law enforcement that he never contacted her about visiting. However, Adams subsequently forewent the flight to Frankfurt and instead traded his credit for a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C., paying nearly double what a two-way round-trip ticket would have been. When he arrived, he rented a Toyota Camry at Duels Airport at 6.45 in the morning. Later that same day on U.S. Route 250 in Troy, Virginia, Adams backed his car into another motorist vehicle, causing some very minor damage. The driver of the car told detectives that Adams seemed nice, but he was in a hurry. He arrived in Knoxville, Tennessee sometime on the evening of July 10th, about 500 miles southwest of Washington, D.C., The first reported sighting of Adams in Knoxville happened at a gas station at Strawberry Plains Pike at 5.30 in the evening. Gerald Sapp, an interstate repair service driver, had been called to the gas station. Adams had told the clerk there that he was having all kinds of trouble starting his car, and he was not able to even get into the vehicle. Well, when Sapp showed up, he took a look and told Adams that he was attempting to use the keys for that of a Nissan, That was the vehicle that he abandoned back in Seattle, not the Toyota that he was driving then. Sapp recalled, I asked him to look in his pockets. I said, if you drove this thing up here, you got to have another key in your pocket. Well, he wouldn't even look. So I thought he was nuts. He was bound and determined that this had to have been the key that he needed for that particular car, even though the key fob was for a Nissan and he was driving a Toyota. Sapp arranged to have the car towed to a local repair shop and dropped Adams off at the Fairfield Inn in Knoxville. Upon his arrival at the Fairfield Inn, Adams was captured on closed-circuit television footage in the hotel lobby. He spent around 40 minutes loitering in the hotel before purchasing a room with 100 U.S. dollars. When the hotel clerk attempted to return his change, Adams simply exited the lobby and walked outside. It was later determined that he never entered the room that he had purchased. Adams was discovered by construction workers around 7.30 in the morning on July 11, 1996, in a parking lot of an under-construction Fairfield Inn located just outside of Knoxville at the Strawberry Plains Pike I-40 interchange. He was half-naked with his pants off and his shirt open. His pants, shoes, and socks were lying near his body. Scattered around his body was German, Canadian, and U.S. currency about $4,000 worth in all. And in addition to the money found with the body, police also located a black duffel bag that contained maps, travel receipts, and a fanny pack that held five ounces of gold bars, gold, and platinum coins, jewelry, keys, plus a pair of sunglasses. Now, according to the autopsy report by the University of Tennessee Medical Center, Adams has sustained many cuts and abrasions. The Knox County Sheriff's Department speculated that some of the wounds came from fending off some kind of attack. Adams had also suffered a violent blow that ruptured his stomach. What, or rather who, would have used what 
to attack him. That would have ruptured his stomach. His official cause of death was ruled sepsis that stemmed from an abdominal perforation. He also had a wound to his forehead, and police determined that that was caused by some kind of a crowbar or maybe a club. It was also believed that Adams had been sexually assaulted, though no DNA evidence was found to confirm this suspicion. Law enforcement initially thought the possibility that Adams' death had been sex-related was prominent since he was entirely, almost completely nude when he was discovered. But the only physical DNA evidence found at the scene was one strand of long hair that was gripped in Adams' hand. According to subsequent interviews with his mother, Adams had been acting odd in the weeks prior to his leaving Canada. Well, she had said that Adams refused to tell her what was going on. What was he so bothered about? And why was he becoming more and more paranoid by the minute? So paranoid that he had even confided in closest friends that he was about to be murdered. Well, of course, when that kind of thing happens, a lot of people just take it as nothing more than paranoia. Maybe it hit the bottle too hard or something else and, well, whatever. They didn't believe that. Until they had no choice. According to his friends and family, Adams had been sober for about two years at the time of his death and had just recently stopped attending the AA meetings. He also allegedly told friends that someone was trying to kill him and confided in his mother that somebody had been spreading rumors about him. In a 2010 interview with local law enforcement, it was revealed that the Knoxville Police Department had never received a credible tip in the entire time since Adams' death. And though a composite sketch of a man was released in the case, the sketch was of a man two women claimed to have witnessed Adams speaking to outside of a Cracker Barrel restaurant in Knoxville. This is Amanda Collins from Prestonsburg, and I'm listening to the Mountain Mysteries. Download the Mountain Mysteries podcast on your favorite listening device free right now to hear episodes featuring Lorraine Warren and hear episodes about crimes and mysteries in our own backyard and more. You can also learn more by visiting the website at themountainmysteriespodcast.com. Get the chills and stay mysterious. Available on Apple, Spotify, Audible, and where podcasts are found. Did an unidentified flying object actually have a collision with a CSX railroad train? Well, if you'd like to find out, download the Mountain Mysteries podcast free on your favorite device and listen to the stories that have affected our region. April Pennington, Mamie Thurman, The Mothman, and Octavia Hatcher. All available on Apple, Spotify, Audible, and where podcasts are found. Also visit us on themountainmysteriespodcast.com. It just took off. and uh, He didn't leave an explanation with anybody, didn't write a note, uh, just left and uh, ended up dead in Knoxville, Tennessee. Adams was a foreman at a construction company, and by all accounts, he loved his job, and he was good at it. Regardless, that started to change just before his death. His mother, Sandra Edwards, reflected her son's uncharacteristic mood swings, and when she asked him about it, he said, I don't think I should tell you about it. Adams' co-workers also noticed a change in him, and one day he just up and quit his job without getting his last paycheck, as reported by Knox News. Now, it was around that time that he told his mother that there were all kinds of rumors going around about him, and he also told his friends about his fear that someone was going to kill him. 
Adams headed to the Seattle airport when he was finally able to cross the border and bought a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C. He arrived July 10th and rented a car that he drove to Knoxville, Tennessee, and he went to a hotel, and the managers distinctly remembered Adams because, well, according to them, he exhibited odd behavior. He went in and out of the hotel's lobby five times before he ever even asked for a room. That was according to an employee, identified as Tika Hartsfeld. She said the best way to describe him would be paranoid. He was just very nervous, agitated, expecting someone to come in on him, even though there wasn't anybody there. After getting a room, he left the hotel at about 7.37 p.m. as reported by Medium. That was the last time Adams was seen alive. Twelve hours later, after Blair Adams left the hotel, well, that's when his dead body was found. According to investigators, he was brutally beaten and possibly run over. Now, an autopsy was performed, and based on those results, officials say that he died from a blow using a weapon, like a crowbar or a club, that was directed to the stomach. He was also hit on his head and had defensive wounds on his hands. Furthermore, there was evidence of sexual assault. The only clue about Adams' attacker was a strand of hair that was found on his body. Many people were in an uproar, screaming that DNA should be ran. Well, it was. Despite having that DNA profile, though, there was and never has been any match found. Years after his death, Adams' family still looking for answers. Those who knew him said that he didn't know anyone from Knoxville. They also said that it was common for Adams to travel, but him getting all of his valuables and money out of the bank and safety deposit boxes... Well, that was very unusual. His autopsy revealed that there were no drugs in his system during his death. It also is not known whether there was really someone who wanted to kill him, just as he said. Although decades have passed since Adam's murder, Knoxville authorities are hopeful that this case will one day be solved with the help of the DNA profile that they have on hand. Remember, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and write a short review. Become a Patreon member and get early, commercial-free access to all episodes, and you can find out more about what's coming down the pike with the Mountain Mysteries by logging on, following, and joining our Facebook page, facebook.com slash themountainmysteries, or log on to the home of the Mountain Mysteries at our website, www.mountainmysteries.com. The Mountain Mysteries Podcast.com. And please support the Mountain Mysteries in any way you can. Next week, we look into a question that has plagued virtually everyone since human beings have walked this earth. What happens after we die? Is life after death real? We'll talk to paranormal investigators and some experts on the subject who are doctors in the field. Afterlife will be available next Friday on Spotify, Apple, and where podcasts are found, or you can get it early if you'll become a Patreon member. I'm Chris Sloan for The Mountain Mysteries. Stay mysterious. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. 
Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more.